We're beginning the book of Jonah. I got to say, I'm, I'm like a little kid going to this story. Jonah's kind of a tricky book to find. It's after the major prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. So uh, if you're having a hard time finding it, if you're using the Bible under the seat in front of you, it's page 1067. Book of Jonah, one of the greatest fish stories ever told. But unlike most fish stories, this one is completely true. Amen? (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to have your word. We're grateful for the examples that are given to us in your word, the good ones and the bad ones. We learn from them both. And Lord, I thank you for your mercy and compassion and grace that shines forth so clearly. Pray that it would do so tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at verse 1, Jonah chapter 1. Read it very carefully. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. I want to do a little geography here as we begin. Jonah, he lives in the land of Israel, and to be real specific, he lives in the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember, in these days of Jonah, the nation of Israel had been split into two kingdoms. And Jonah lives in the northern kingdom. By the way, the northern kingdom of Israel was a wicked kingdom. They never had a good king, not one. And they were not walking with the Lord for sure. But that's where Jonah lived. And he lived in this little place, according to 2 Corinthians, or Kings verse 14, called Geth Hefer. Right in the region of the Galilee, real close to Nazareth. Nineveh is 550 miles northeast. Nineveh was a major city in the Assyrian Empire. In fact, Nineveh would become the royal capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And in the days of Jonah, the Assyrian Empire was getting powerful. It was conquering everything. It was gobbling up land. And in fact, it is the Assyrian Empire that will utterly crush and destroy the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. Now, the book of Jonah is written in the days about 50 to 70 years before that destruction. But know that in the days of Jonah, the Assyrians were sending soldiers, sending raiders down there, and they were threatening the northern kingdom, even capturing some and having their way violently with different people. Jonah may have even seen some of that. So Jonah hated the Ninevites, hated Assyria. Nineveh is located in what is now modern-day northern Iraq. Here's kind of where Jonah was at. There's Nineveh. Located right in a city called Mosul. Any of you heard of Mosul? Iraq. So with the wonder of Google, I went there. The city of Mosul is right on the eastern side of the Tigris River. And Mosul actually spreads... uh, east and west of that river. 
ancient Nineveh was located right on that eastern part. The city proper had a circumference of about 60 miles. It's a huge city. The fortified city had a wall around it, and its circumference was about eight miles. Now, ancient Nineveh is a pile of rubble. It's in ruins. But there have been some excavation, and there are some actually some really interesting sites that have been discovered. You can't really see it, but that's a palace that belonged to King Sennacherib. This is a very important hill right here. It's kind of like a mound. And if you were to dig in there, you'd get a lot of good stuff. Here's a library that they found, the library of Asher Banabal. Down here, you see the southern uh, section of the ancient wall. And here, you can't really see it, but it's really interesting. It's a place called Nabi Yunus, which means the Mound of Jonah. A mound, a tell dedicated to the prophet Jonah. Well, they did do some excavation, and so you can see some pretty cool things. That's up north. Here's a picture of the southern wall. Years ago, they they dug out a a section, and they kind of restored it. That's what it kind of looked like. They even have a mosque right there near the Nabi Yunus, which is a mosque that is dedicated to Jonah. They even claim to have the tomb of Jonah there at that mosque. Well, after all that excavation, an ugly group by the name of ISIS came in a few years back and destroyed everything. That's what's left of the tomb of Jonah and that mosque. So now everything that they uncovered has basically become another pile of rubble. So that's sort of what it looks like today. But in the days of Jonah, it was a great city. In fact, God even calls it that. When he says to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Here are some artists' renditions of what Nineveh looked like in its great day. By the way, Nineveh has a history that stretches all the way back to Genesis chapter 10, after the flood, built by a guy named Nimrod, one of the most ancient cities on planet Earth, and certainly one of the most powerful Just so much that it had. Had 1,200, 200 feet high towers surrounded by a 100 feet high wall whose foundation was made of polished stone. 600,000 people lived in that city. Hanging gardens filled the city with rich plants, rare animals, temples, palaces, Libraries and arsenals abounded in that city to adorn and enrich the city beyond belief. Nineveh was one of the most impressive cities in antiquity. It was a great city. But it was also a city of great wickedness. In fact, The Lord says to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. The word wickedness here is a very strong word. It speaks of repulsive, depraved, evil, wicked behavior. You look at it. And it looks beautiful, but Nineveh was a city of idolatry 
They worship Nabu, Asher, Adad, Marduk. They also had a patron god of their city, and it was the goddess Ishtar, who was the goddess of love and war. They worshipped these pagan gods backed by demons in these various temples and shrines. Of course, in the temple to Ishtar, there was all sorts of sexual perversion with the prostitutes, the priestesses. For Marduk, they would do child sacrifice. All kinds of horrendous behavior in Nineveh. Occultic behavior. All kinds of dark practices. Sorcery. It really was a city of darkness, like a city of demons. Great wickedness is the word. But the thing that really stood out about Nineveh was its extreme, extreme violence. The Ninevites were some of the most vicious, brutal warriors that this earth has ever seen. They're going around and they're taking out people and they would bring the rulers of these lands that they conquered back and they would kill them in the most horrific ways. They invented torture. They came up with ways. One of their kings said, and it's found on an ancient tablet, I stormed the mountain peaks and took them. In the midst of the mighty mountain, I slaughtered them. With their blood, I dyed the mountain red like wool. He says, the heads of their warriors I cut off, and I formed them into a pillar over against their city. And before that, their young men, their children, their maidens, I burned in the fire right in front of them. He goes on to say, one leader I flayed, skinned alive, and took his skin and spread it upon the wall of his city. He also wrote of mutilating the bodies of live captives and stacking their corpses in piles. One guy says, I cut their throats like lambs. I cut off their precious lives as one cuts a string. Like the many waters of a storm, I made the contents of their gullets and entrails run down upon the wide earth. I cut off their hands. Another guy says, he captured a leader and he pierced his chin He says, with my keen hand dagger, and then through his jaw I passed a rope, put a dog chain upon him, and made him occupy a kennel. You're seeing a picture of one of their worst. They would take a a spear, large spear, put it up in, in a person, and sometimes the end would come out through their mouth or the back, and then just stick him in the ground and let them die. In fact, some say that was the precursor to the crucifixion. The Assyrians came up with that. Gang, this was one of the cruelest, vilest, most powerful, and most idolatrous empires in all of world history. And by the way, they had already started bringing some of that torture and violence down to the southern, the northern kingdom of Israel. Jonah perhaps saw some of that. Horrific. So bad that, again, notice what God says of them in verse 2. Their wickedness has come up before me, God says. If you could think of wickedness or sin as an odor... as the stench of a rotting pile of garbage. And if you could think of God as having nostrils and the sense of smell, 
the wickedness of Nineveh had reached the high heavens. You know, God sees all wickedness in every nation. Can you imagine the things our God sees? All the things that happen behind closed doors, all over the world, in every city. There's wickedness everywhere. But there are times when a city gets so wicked that the stench becomes almost too much. This is very, very serious language. This is the same language in the Bible that's used against the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is so very grave, the perversion and the sin and the wickedness in Sodom and Gomorrah reached its limit. And what did God do with them? Literally, brimstone and fire poured out upon Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the same language that speaks of the human race in the days of Noah before the flood. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. The stench, the wickedness of man became so ugly, so bad. God started over. Nineveh had just about reached that point. Their wickedness had become so bad that they were about to be wiped out. By the way, how do you think America smells? How does the United States of America smell? You know, I've read, you read the stories in Sodom and Gomorrah and the horrific perversion that was taking place in that city. And I remember years ago reading that thinking, who in the world could be that way? America's become that way. The sexual sin and perversion. Do you know that our country is the number one producer of pornography? Number one. We're the exporter of filth. We're leading the charge on all the the gender, gay, queer, transgender garbage. We're becoming occultic. God has been thrown out of our country. I I don't know. I, I didn't watch it, but I saw bits and pieces of it. The Grammys, that one award show that defines our secular music in our culture. Spotlighted a satanic ritual. That stinks. Child sacrifice in America? Do you realize that there is an army, there is a militant group of people that are fighting with all the energy they can possibly have to make sure that babies can be killed. A culture of violence. Crime is up. uh, Murder is up. But I, I, I think about the culture of violence in our movies and the things that people watch. All the movies that glorify serial murders... Jason, the Halloween guy? How many sequels have there been of that? Depicting people slaughtered in the most horrific ways imaginable. Coming up with new ways to shock. Let the blood splatter. I'll tell you. I think we could be very close to that limit. But there still is salt around. Amen? The church in America, we're still here. 
And we're the salt, and we're rubbed into the rotting meat to preserve it. But boy, I'll tell you, when the church is removed, look out. So this is Nineveh. It's at the very end. It's as wicked as it can get. And then we have our main character, Jonah. So there's some things you need to know about Jonah. There's a few details. Did you know that the name Jonah means dove? It means dove. Now, a dove is supposed to be a bird of peace, right? Jonah doesn't act much like a dove. He acts more like a hawk, right? A dove is also one of those home-loving birds. They like to stay put. And that really, I think, speaks to Jonah. Jonah loved home. In fact, we know Jonah was extremely patriotic. And he had a fierce and narrow patriotism. He loved Israel. He loved his kingdom. He was all for it. He hated anything that got in the way of the prosperity of Israel. And the other thing you should know about Jonah, and this is something that I didn't know, and I thought it was fascinating. Jonah was popular. Jonah was a popular prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. In fact, he was well known. He was a national figure because of his patriotism and what he would prophesy. In fact, 2 Kings chapter 14 tells us a really interesting thing about Jonah. It's the only other place outside of Jonah in the Old Testament that he's mentioned. I'm going to put it up on screen and I want you to just check this out. It says, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. So this is Jeroboam the second. He began reigning from 790 to 750 BC over the northern kingdom of Israel. He was an evil king, just like all of the other kings in the northern kingdom of Israel. All the ones before and all the ones after. However, during the reign of this guy, God did something gracious for that northern kingdom. Verse 25, he, that king, restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, According to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant named who? Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Goth Hefer. So during this guy's reign, Jonah received a prophecy saying that Israel would be expanded, that territory would be recovered. And that happened. God in his grace allowed that to happen. And the historians tell us that it was during that time that there was an internal struggle up in Nineveh. They couldn't get along in the palace. They stopped invading lands. And during that period of time, Israel was able to get back land. And Jonah was the guy who gave that prophecy. They love Jonah. Jonah is pro-Israel. He's the make Israel great again guy. That guy. (laughs) He is nationalistic. He is proud of his country. He is the prophet who is pro-Israel against anything that would come against. And the people would have said God's with him too. So that's, that's an important detail. All right, so here in these first two, chap, first two verses, God gives a very clear command to Jonah. Don't you think? It's pretty clear. Verse 1, he says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord came to this prophet. God spoke clearly to this prophet. 
audible voice, vision, dream. Whatever the case, the command was very clear. Jonah, verse 2, I want you to arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. Jonah, right now, and the language is now. Go right now. Go to Nineveh. It's 550 miles away. It's going to take you about a month journey. Get on the road. Get going right now. And when you get there, Jonah, cry out against it. Preach. Warn of the judgment. Let Nineveh know that the God of heaven sees their wickedness. And judgment is coming. Do you guys all understand that command? Was there anything like kind of weird about it? Could you take a different spin on it? Go to Nineveh and preach. What did Jonah do? Look at verse (laughs) 3. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. My brothers and sisters in Christ, you just read one of the most blatant acts of disobedience in all of the Bible from any religious person. Where did God tell him to go? Nineveh, 550 miles that way. He went the opposite direction. He went down to Joppa. He got on a boat, headed for Tarshish, which is 2,500 miles away. So combine the mileage. 3,050 miles from where God told him to go. Jonah wants to get as, as far away as he can. Jonah wants to leave his own country. His service, his ministry. In fact, this is Jonah... Resigning. This is Jonah resigning his office as a prophet. I want nothing to do with this command. Now, it's very cold here. Uh, There's no argument from Jonah. Jonah didn't say anything to God. At least we don't hear it. He doesn't try to talk God out of it like Moses did when he was called to Egypt. Right? He just resigned. Coldly went down to Joppa, got on a ship to go 2,500 miles away. Why? Why did he do that? Was he afraid of the Ninevites? I think it'd be a little scary to go to those who make human shish kebabs out of their enemies. I think that could be scary. But that isn't why Jonah wasn't afraid. Was he ultra-racist? Well, he certainly hated the Ninevites, no doubt. But that's not why. Was it the message? I mean, you think this... God told him to go and, and cry out against them. You would think that'd be right down Jonah's alley. I get to be the doomsday preacher. I get to go to the enemies of my nation. I get to call down fire from heaven on the Ninevites. I get to see them judge. You would think that he would like that message. But here's the deal. God was sending Jonah to warn them. To warn them. At the end of the story, when Jonah eventually gets there, here's his message. 
Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah loved the Nineveh should be overthrown part. Hated the 40 day part. Because Jonah knew the scripture. Jonah knew that God is compassionate and merciful and patient. And Jonah knew that if the Ninevites repented, God would heal them. God would spare them. So here's a guy who says, I'm not even going to let that have an opportunity. I will not be a prophet used by the Lord to give the Ninevites a chance. No, those folks, they need to die. They need to burn. Zero mercy. Now think about this. In the city of Nineveh, you have 600,000 men and women, boys and girls, babies. Human beings that God loves. He wants to give them a chance. And you have this guy, Jonah, with all this ugly hatred in his heart. He's going to Tarshish. Now, is it a good idea to run from God? Just, is it a good idea? Was, did Jonah make wise decisions here? No, it's never a good idea to run from God. It's never a good idea to disobey. When you do that, you only go down. Look in verse 3. Look at the word down. shows up a couple times. Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. And you'll see later, Jonah will go down into the sea, then down into the belly of a great fish, and then down into the very bowels of the deep of the oceans. When you run from God, when you disobey him, every step's down. And you go down, down, down. My brother, my sister in Christ, listen carefully to that. What Jonah did, he ruined his credibility, ruined his fruitfulness, caused him all kinds of anxiety, well-being, everything. When you knowingly disobey God, you go down. You know what else happens? You pay a big price. It's costly. Verse 3 again, Jonah arose to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the what? He paid the fare. Now that's a one-way emergency ticket. From Joppa to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away. A ship journey like that would have taken almost a year with multiple stops. It would have been very, very expensive. And Jonah paid it. Now, I actually read a couple uh, scholars that said ships like that would not go on a journey until they were fully occupied or close to full occupation. Where they had a number of people on board, everyone's paid their fare, and they would wait until they were fully booked before they would go. Here it says Jonah paid the fare, not his fare, the fare. It's very possible that he paid the full expense to get that ship on the move right away. Paying for those that haven't even shown up yet. Get me out of here. He dropped a lot of money. He lost a lot of money. And by the way, he left his family, he left his friends, he left his countrymen, he left relationships. It cost him. And I promise you, my brother and sister in Christ, if you knowingly 
run from God and disobey him, it'll cost you. It'll cost you money. It'll cost you relationships. It'll cost you time. One person said, have you ever stopped to consider the price you're paying for running from God? He says, I've known some men who left their families who have paid a high price. I've known some people hooked on drugs or alcohol who are now paying the price for having paid the fare. Our prisons are full of people who are running from God who have all paid the fare. When you run from the presence of God, it will always cost you. Ask the prostitute who's 40 years old and looks like she's 60. Ask the man who God called into full-time ministry who instead set sail for Tarshish. Ask the teenage girl who decided to pay the fare and get an abortion and today lives with regret and grief and guilt and depression. There is a high, high price to pay when you run from God. When you run from God, when you disobey him, you become deceived. Absolutely deceived. Jonah is a prophet, and it says twice in that verse that he, he's arising to flee from the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. Can anybody flee from the presence of the Lord? And Jonah knew all the scriptures. He knew Psalm 139 that says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Acts chapter 17, Paul says, In God we live and move and have our being. You can't leave God any more than you can leave air. And Jonah knew that. Jonah knew that. But he's deceived. He thinks he can escape. Jonah's living in a dreamland. He's got this fantasy. I can go somewhere and not worry about any of these responsibilities. You know, there's a verse in Psalm 55. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander off and remain in the wilderness. Sigh. Tarshish. Jonah's going to go to Tarshish. Did you know that that's really our best guess of where Tarshish actually is? But nobody really does know exactly where this Tarshish was. That's our best guess. Really, if you think about it, Tarshish was non-existent for Jonah. He's not going to get there. This was the tarnish of Jonah's dreams, the place where he sought peace and fulfillment away from the presence and service of the Lord. The reality is that Tarshish does not exist. It is only the place of disobedient dreams. That's it. This step of disobedience deceived Jonah. Let him into a dreamland. And I'm telling you, my brother, my sister in Christ, when you willingly turn from God and disobey him and run from him, it's a step down. It'll cost you. And you'll become deceived. You'll start saying and thinking things like you never thought before. You'll start covering sin. You'll start making all kinds of excuses. You'll start thinking, God's not around. And it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. I want you to look at this picture. And I want each one of us here tonight to put us right there. Right there. 
You're a born-again Christian. Here you are in life. Does God call us to hard things? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. There's so many things about the Christian life that can be hard, can be scary. Nineveh is whatever pulls you out of your comfort zone. Nineveh is the place God calls where you don't want to go. Nineveh is the people who have hurt you deeply and God says, go and give them my message. Nineveh is danger. Nineveh is discomfort. Nineveh is whatever you hate that God loves deeply. You know, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount on Sunday mornings. Talk about some hard commands. Jesus said, love your enemy. Pray for your enemy. Do good to those who spitefully use you. There are hard things. There are hard things. Obey them. Go to Nineveh. Don't go to Tarshish. Don't be like the dove that flies away. Be the man or woman of God that relies on the dove of the Holy Spirit of God. Because when he sends you, he will equip you. Don't go backwards. You know, that command that God gave to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, I'll tell you what, it reminds me of a command that Jesus gave to us right before he ascended. It's called the Great Commission. You guys recall what Jesus said? He said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, teaching them. Gang, my brother and sister in Christ, we're to go. We're to have a go mentality. We're to share the gospel with people. I'll let you know something. God loves very much those people that are a part of that political party that you hate. He loves them. That group that you don't align with at all. If God sent you to them, would you go? God loves very deeply those people that are caught up in all of that sexual perversion, all the garbage that's being promoted. Would you go the other way? Would you go to Tarshish? Or would you share the gospel with them? God loves very, very deeply the migrants that come across the border Would you go and preach to them? I certainly hope that nobody in here is racist. But I'll just put this out there. Is there a racial group that you have a problem with? I hope not. If you do, I'll bet God's going to send you there. To preach to them. What about the person in your life who's hurt you? That group of people in your, in your life that's hurt you? You know, we look at a Jonah and we think, how could that hatred be so strong? Look in your own heart. Who are the people in your life that you wouldn't want to go share the gospel with? God... God says go. You know, it's interesting. I have a pastor friend whose sister serves as a missionary. Guess where? Mosul, Iraq. Going to share the gospel with ISIS, Al-Qaeda. Wow. 
What a challenging thing. There's a verse in the New Testament that I think sums up the book of Jonah. And it's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards who? Us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We don't have any clue, I don't think, of how compassionate God is towards people. Now he wants all people to be saved. And he is patient. Sodom, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, remember? I mean, Abraham pleaded if you find 20 righteous. 10. 8. God gave them the ultimate chance. God gives all people chances. All nations chances. He's long-suffering. He loves those people. And as, as, as his people, as born-again Christians, we should love them too. We should be compassionate. We should be willing to go and serve, preach, share. Now, God is also very compassionate and gracious towards us, isn't he? He's very compassionate towards this prophet named Jonah. Now, I never like to say that, but if I were God, what would you, if you were God, what would you do with Jonah? See ya, have a nice life, right? God is going to chase down Jonah. God is going to tackle Jonah. God's going fishing. And he's fishing for Jonah. Jonah is going to experience the craziest adventure ever because God wants him. You know, one of the most amazing things about this whole story is God loves you more than the work that he wants to do through you. He really does. And he loved Jonah. And he's going after Jonah. And I'll tell you what, he'll go after us. He'll tackle us. If we start going the wrong direction and we go down and these things are costly and we get deceived, I pray that God comes after us, don't you? Because he will. Just don't wait for the fish. Right? Turn around and do what's right. If God has called you to do something, you do it. Amen? Let's bow our heads. I want to say a prayer. And I'm just going to ask maybe some of you tonight with your head bowed, your eyes closed. Has God called you to do something hard recently? Something scary? Maybe to get involved in that ministry that he's been calling you to? Maybe reaching out to somebody at work? Maybe just being a a good witness where, where you work and where you go to school? Where you show your Christianity more. You show your saltiness. Do you need to make a hard decision about, uh, I don't know, letting go of a relationship that's not going well, that's not leading you in the right way? A friendship, a group of friends? Sinful activity? Go to Nineveh, don't go to Tarshish. Lord, I pray for those tonight. I pray if 
that we would have the faith and the courage to step out into that unknown and to do what you've called us to do. As hard as it might be, as scary as it might be, we trust you. And I pray, Lord, that you would anoint by the power of your Holy Spirit Call us, Lord, back to you. And Father, I want to pray for all of us that we would have great compassion. Guard us from hatred and bigotry and looking down on people, writing people off. Guard us. Give us a heart like you have. Compassion. Increase our compassion tonight. And if you're here this evening and you, man, you've never received Christ, maybe, I mean, I mean, maybe you'd be honest and that life stinks for you right now and you're a big part of that stench. You've made some bad decisions, made a mess of things. You're wondering if you can have a chance. Oh, God is compassionate. He loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross for all of your mess, all your sins. The sacrifice has been made. And Jesus rose again and he's here and he'll be, he'll be your savior. He'll save you. He'll, he'll, he'll take you out of the deepest pit. He'll give you a brand new start in life. Brand new. What does he require of you? Humility. Admit that you need him. Reach out to God. Put your faith and trust in him. If you haven't done that, I want you to do it right now. Say, Lord, right now I humbly put my trust in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Wash away all my sins, all the rottenness, all the wickedness. Make me brand new. Make me your child. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live differently.